We spend a lot of money on very fancy security features that are supposed to be protecting our platforms. Are they turned on? Are they configured properly? These are all critical pieces that will be reflected in the attestation. Hi, welcome to the Open at Intel podcast. I'm Katherine Druckmann, an open source evangelist at Intel. This episode takes us on a deep technical dive into the concept of attestation, especially as it relates to building trust in software and computing environments. We'll look at it from some different angles with the help of Marcella Malara and Vinny Scarlata. I think you'll enjoy, and as always, please join us again for more important open source conversations. Today I'm talking to Marcella Malara, a security researcher with Intel Labs, who has joined us before, you might recognize Marcella, and Vinny Scarlata, a principal engineer here at Intel. Both are security experts with deep knowledge of attestation as it relates to software security. Thank you both for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me again. <laughs> thanks cool thanks for having me. Here. Yeah, this is gonna be fun. Um, attestation as a concept has come up separately in previous episodes, one about confidential computing and another about software supply chain security, at least those for sure. But here, uh, we want to take a deeper dive into why it's important and also talk about some different approaches. So let's just, you know, start with the basics. Um, and I'll ask this one to Vinny. What is attestation as it relates to software and trusted computing? And could you go into the different types of attestation and what are the applications of each type? Yeah, so attestation fundamentally is, is just to assert a claim. But depending on the context, you get different answers on what is being claimed and who is doing the claiming. Uh, in the context of software or software attestation, the author or some trusted party or third party evaluator, maybe some governing body or tool chain is gonna be making statements about the software, what its origins are, maybe what its compositions are, uh, those sorts of, of things. Uh, in the context of trusted computing or confidential computing, I'll use those interchangeably, uh, remote attestation is going to be some secure element in a platform making an assertion about what specific software is running, uh, maybe how the, the platform is configured, statements about whether it's up to date or not, whether it's in, in good standing, it's uh, genuine hardware, those sorts of things. Uh, and then together you can put them together to have a statement of, well, this platform is running this software, and these are the reasons that you should trust that software. Now I know I can trust that endpoint. So the next question I think is is more in, in Marcella's wheelhouse. So uh, why is software attestation especially important in open source software? Yeah, um, open source software can have a potential for a lot or a large number of contributors, right? Um, even small projects, the whole idea is to get input. Yeah, that's what we want, right? In open source, you want, yeah, you yeah. want contrib contribution from the outside world. Yeah, um, and so the issues start to sort of arise when you have many different practices around what a contribution looks like, what types of contributions you accept to your project. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have bigger projects that are managed under foundations like the Linux Foundation, um, and they tend to follow sort of a set of consistent practices, codes of conduct, and like that sort of thing. 
um, and you can even see that in the in the individual repositories. But in general, some of the developers contributing are vetted, but vetting a bunch of people at a global scale, um, especially if you're a small business or project, that's quite difficult, right? And so um, a lot of open source contributors aren't vetted. It ends up being up to the maintainers or project owners, managers, whatever you want to call them, um, to do proper code reviews, follow security best practices, and secure their project and their sort of little part of, of the supply chain. Be careful before you hit merge. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful. Okay. So so again, for Marcella, I believe the, this came up in a previous episode. I think it was episode two or three of this podcast. Mm-hmm. How is software attestation related to the idea of provenance in software? Right, we have a we have a supply chain. We we want to track the st- we want to track the the life cycle and where where our software is coming from. Right. So how does attestation relate to that? Yeah. So I think also in the software supply chain space, we use provenance in like a few different ways. So right, like what you were describing is kind of like the dictionary definition of provenance, where um, an attestation about a software artifact will tell us its origins, the sort of process or history of of it um, and how it came to be, uh, sort of maybe it has information about, um, yeah, who who all touched the software, right? Before it got to you or before it was delivered to you. We want its entire life story, right? Yeah. Um, and so attestations are essentially the the documentation for that um, life story, for that whole life cycle um, that you're interested in, in understanding. Um, but I also did want to point out, um, because this sort of comes up interchangeably, that there's also salsa provenance, right? And that's a very specific data format for a type of of attestation essentially, right? Um, And so I always like to sort of say, yeah, we have the general idea of provenance and then there's also in the software space, salsa provenance that describes the build process and setup for um, software producers, vendors, and and how a piece of software is built. Um, And so it's kind of a very specific instance of Mm -hmm. sort of general provenance, right? If it, since I like to speak in metaphors, anyway, is it a fair um, comparison to say that, like, let's say when you're buying a piece of art, the way you attest to its provenance, its his, its life story, right? Where how did it get to the current owner and the previous owners? Maybe receipts along the way, right? If if somebody bought mm-hmm. a piece of art a hundred years ago and ha- and somebody re- retained a receipt for purchasing that, and then somebody changed hands you know, 20 years later and somebody kept a receipt. Is it fair to make that comparison that a software attestation is sort of like keeping receipts? Um, I think the receipt, uh, yeah, analogy or comparison is pretty close. Um, the difference being that, you know, the receipt can have different information. Um, maybe you care about everything that's in your receipt or not. Um, but yeah, in general, I think that that's a pretty fair comparison. So, well, I guess this question is for both of you, really. How does, now that we've defined attestation, how does attestation help ensure integrity and build trust, which is obviously 
quite critical always, but particularly today, right? It's um, we're, we, are, we as a community, a software community are increasingly concerned with building trust in our software. So how does attestation help us with that? So if I, uh, I'll start with the, the Romo attestation piece of it. So when you're when you're trying to when you're trying to interact with a remote platform, particularly if it's one that you don't own, uh, remote attestation aims to give you a bunch of the building blocks for establishing trust in it. Is the silicon genuine, which speaks to the the hardware supply chain? Uh, is there any firmware that that is on it that needs to be up to date? Uh, we spend a lot of money on very fancy security features that are supposed to be protecting our platforms. Are they turned on? Are they configured <laughs> properly? The, these are all critical pieces that will be reflected in the attestation. Uh, and then when you make it to the top of the stack, it will identify the software that you are running on that execution engine, be it at the full platform scope or at a trusted execution environment scope. Uh, but it only tells you the identity of the software. It does not help you with, should I trust that software? And that's where we transition over to the software attestation portion of it mm. that Marcella can speak to. Yeah. So as I was saying before, right, like in general, attestations convey information. Um, and so a consumer or user of the software can check and decide if they trust the software using the attestation. Um, I always like to come back to the question of what does it actually mean to trust mm -hmm. software? Um, because um, like Vinny was saying, maybe it's just enough to know the identity of the software, right? Does the software that you're running on your platform match what I expected? If that's all you care about, maybe that's enough, right? Maybe all the consumer cares about is who wrote the software, right? In that case, you might have a super simple digital signature and that's enough, right? Um, but once you start to ask some of these more complex questions around what the components are, what the dependencies are, right? Here we get into the software supply chain. Um, then maybe we need to include an SBOM in the attestation. Um, if I want to know something as sort of fine-grained or specific, um, like will my code have certain bugs or not have certain bugs, right? Then my attestation can help with that. But um, yeah, ultimately it comes down to the type and also quality of the information that is contained in the attestation, like whether or not that will actually allow you, the user, to build right. trust. Yeah. I missed a piece. You you also specifically asked about integrity. Part of mm -hmm. the part of the identifying the the software is uh, we're we're not talking about its product XYZ version two. Yeah. It's a the attestations are much stronger. They're typically cryptographic hashes of what is running. So if it's been tampered with either in distribution or between running or while it's running, then that will be reflected in what I hand wave as the software identity. Uh, typically, we refer to them as measurements of the software. And so at that point, we can detect tampering and integrity violations of the software at any point in that, that chain of, of remote attestations and software attestations. So digging again a little deeper, what needs to be attested exactly in order for software attestation to be useful? This is again from Marcella. And at, at which point in the software supply chain does it come into play? Like it, it, re really what I'm getting at are what are some best practices for implementation? Yeah. So this is a multi-part question, but yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, if you ask me, uh, I think everything needs to be attested. Um, okay. From the hardware platform, which is right what Vinny's talking about, the entire compute stack, your OS, your containers, your virtual machines, right? Every sort of layer of software that is between the hardware and um, the tool that's building your code, all of that should be attested to, um, be, right? Like the saying always goes, the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same for software supply chain or software development lifecycle trust, um, I think. And so I think, yeah, if you're going to be incredibly uh, sort of thorough, then everything um, in practice, it depends on what your threat model is, right? Um, who... ah, episode one. Yes. <laughs> Go back and listen to episode one, everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So um, that's kind of one of the challenges we, we face with um, sort of software supply chain best practices and implementations is there are all of these awesome tools to collect all of this great information and not everyone necessarily needs it, right? And so still mm-hmm. figuring out um, who needs to collect what and who needs to share what with whoever else, right, mm-hmm. um, is is part of a challenge. Um, but some best practices are definitely, um, I mean, I think the uh, executive order 14028, um, I got that number right, um, lays out some best practices, right? Like collecting an SBOM or software bill of materials. Um, I think uh, code signatures also, um, and that's still decently, I want to say, not complex. So not that setting all of that up isn't hard, but rather the attestations won't be particularly right. straightforward. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so turning it then to Vinny, I'll ask you the same question. So what, what needs to be attested for remote attestation to be useful? And what are some best practices there? It, it generally comes down to, to the exact same direction that, that Marcella was talking about, which is basically that transparency is your friend when it comes to, to confidential computing. Uh, there's usually no such thing as too much information the caveat to that is that it can be difficult to process too much yeah, or, too much attestation information. Yeah. Well, performance isn't usually the problem for confidential computing because it's usually measuring the, the information about the platform as it's okay. starting up the workload. So during the slower path, it's, it's less likely to be in the, the fast path of operation. Uh, but the problem is that there's, when you're talking about the the trustworthiness of a hardware platform, if I gave you a a really accurate measurement of the firmware of some device, so I give you a a cryptographic hash of that firmware, uh, not every manufacturer is going to be interested in open sourcing their firmware. And if you haven't open sourced the firmware, then a hash of the firmware, there's a point where there isn't enough information to really continue to connect the dots. So sometimes you, you hit a point where the manufacturer, what they, they need to portray is enough information so that you know that every part of the platform that their workload needs to trust is authentic and is up to date and its integrity is, is ensured. And the more information you can give, the better. But there is a point where you just can't expect manufacturers to continue to to 
uh, open source hardware components and firmware components. Uh, so generally, the things that you need to, the information for is, is it up to date? Is it genuine? Has it been tampered with for every single thing that can impact your workload? Uh, if you're talking about something like secure enclaves, where the, the only thing, the only software that can impact it is inside of the enclave, then that may be very easy. Uh, if you're talking about something more in the, the trusted computing group TCG world of, of measuring the entire operating system and everything running on the platform, well, then you've got a whole lot more more pieces that you have to reflect in that attestation. For the timing of when it happens in confidential computing, it's usually when you are trying to access some sort of sensitive data or resource. Uh, maybe I am connecting my laptop to a network and that network wants to make sure that it's an IT network. And before it wants to let me on the network, it wants to make sure that I'm running all the IT tools for, for protecting the platform. Uh, or it might be a cloud workload that is just started up and the first thing it needs to do is go access a sensitive database to start crunching on that. Uh, well, I want to know that this is, in fact, my, my workload that has not been tampered with or modified or trying to pretend to be my workload before I give access to my sensitive secrets for, for it to go and process. Uh, so it usually there's usually some type of a resource, physical or data, that is interesting. And before you get access to it, you have to prove that you're worthy. I like that. Prove that you're worthy. So somewhere in there, we, we talked about uh, the end result, right? It, if remote attestation does not match expected values, is not worthy, as, as you might say, um, does not prove to be worthy, what is the recommended course of action? So that is tough. Uh, absolutely, you should take caution. Um, what can be complicated is that it can be difficult to tell the difference between a benign mismatch and a malicious tampering. Mm -hmm. So in an ideal world, whatever was trying to be accessed, you should deny access to it until you're able to rectify this. Either relaunch the workload and, 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 and until it's up to date or gets its comes up with what was supposed to be expected. Uh, at the end of the day, it ends up becoming a business risk assessment uh, type of situation. We, we've had some customers that have said, and particularly in the consumer space, that it is it costs them more to ruin the, the user experience by denying them access to some resource than they're going to lose by letting them touch it. And you, you may see that in DRM-like spaces where if you're trying to stream a movie, if something is broken on your computer, just say hard drive corruption has caused a, a problem with the app and it keeps on saying, no, you can't have the movie. No, you can't have the movie. They may be willing to risk piracy of giving data to a, a, a player that is trying to copy the movie if it means not having to tell a whole bunch of good customers that their videos aren't playing and they're gonna have to call up. So it, in, it ends up becoming a very usage specific scenario, but in an ideal world, if the attestation doesn't match, you'll prevent the resource from being accessed and move on. Okay, great. Yeah, it's it's always good. To, I you know, in my opinion, I, I like to I like to hear the answer of okay, we've collected the data, we have the information, we've we have some visibility and knowledge. What comes next? So thank you for that. 
Um, and when, when, when we started, we, we thought things were all perfectly clear and just said, attestation fails, no stop. And then we learned actually the world has a lot of gray areas. In it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No gray areas are where, they're where the dragons are. <laughs> yeah. So, so for both of you, again, this question, what are some attestation formats and industry standards that everyone should know about? Uh, sure. Uh, IETF has the Remote Attestation Procedures Working Group, also known as RATS. Uh, Trusted Computing Group has a bunch of really good work. They, they did a lot of the pioneering work way back in the day and continue to be very relevant today. Uh, Confidential Computing Consortium, the Distributed Management Task Force, I think it is, DMTF. They have a, a protocol for interacting with with. Uh, I have devices called SPDM. I think it's Secure Protocols Data Model, something like that. Those are all good places to go go look for remote attestation. Turn it over to Marcella. Yeah, on the software side, there's also a few. Although when I was thinking about this question, um, I thought, well, in Toto, open source project uh, under the Cloud Native Compute Foundation is kind of the main software attestation standard slash framework that I could really think about. Um, and that, well, Intoto really does two things actually, right? It is a general purpose data format for software attestations, but it also provides a framework for um, specifying and verifying policy. Um, and this is a slightly less well-known fact about Intoto, actually. Um, but yeah, Intoto has this notion of software supply chain layouts, and that essentially is a way to express policy and rules for each step in the software supply chain, right? And so again, if we go back to this question of when should we collect attestation, um, Intoto takes the approach of at every step of the software supply chain, um, because there's different information that can be captured then. And so if we can collect attestations and then sort of validate them, um, individually, but also for a whole supply chain, right? Um, that's sort of the area that they try to cover. So Intel is a bit of a standard and tooling framework, if that makes sense. More from a standards perspective, the NIST Secure Software Development Framework, or SSDF, um, is a list of software development practices based on sort of pre-existing or established secure software development documents from several organizations. Um, And so here the question is, how do we turn this into an attestation that can actually be verified and again, its provenance, right? Because we also want to understand, make sure that the quality of the attestation is good, right? Um, So how do we take this NIST SSDF framework and convert it into an attestation that is actually ongoing work um, in the open source space? Um, And finally, I'm I'm going to come back to Salsa or the supply chain levels for software artifacts, right? They, uh, this is a framework and data format again for um, specifically software supply chain uh, build process provenance and, and that it's really quite flexible as well. Um, so those are the three that I would that I would highlight. Okay, great. Um, so. I mean, we, we all do, we, we work on these problems, right, in order to have impact. So I, I kind of wanted to go a little bit into that, uh, the big payoff for, for all the work we put in. Can you, can you describe a scenario? Um, and this is, again, for both of you. Can you s- describe a scenario where attestation has played a role in enhancing software security? This is a really tough question, honestly. 
Um, because like you were saying, we are collecting all of this hopefully very useful, rich information, mm-hmm. right? Through SBOM, Salsa, and right, all these other software level attestations. Um, I can't name a like real world example of where having an attestation detected tampering, but there are several examples where software vendors who have had issues, um, and I'll point out SolarWinds in this case, have gone back and adopted some of these existing uh, frameworks. And yeah, I suppose with the hopes of preventing uh, and detecting anything in the future. But I don't know if this is a not a great answer. (laughs) No, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's, this is a tough thing, because, you know, it, it, it's hard to prove something that didn't happen, right? It's, it's, um, right. If it never happened, yeah. then well, then we, we've been successful. But you know, it, it's a, it's good to think of the types of uh, of role it could play. Do, yeah. do, any, do you have anything a, a different uh, perspective on that? So for remote attestation, I would probably instead just point at the the rapid growth of confidential computing in the cloud. Mm. Uh, co- confidential computing, remote attestation is kind of a cornerstone to it. So they, they can, there's a, there are two or three different properties that, that make confidential computing. And I think you can point to them and say that the, the evidence is the existence of confidential computing. And so over the, the decades, we've seen a massive sweep of people moving their, their workloads to the cloud because of the financial advantages of, of not having to maintain those data centers them, themselves. Uh, but sort of where you, you saw a point where companies would move all of the the computing that was not above some sensitivity threshold for them or business risk threshold say well i'll move these things over to the cloud but these are too sensitive for me to let out of my own hands and i'll keep them internal and confidential computing allows you and and the reason for that is because of the risk of while the data is in the cloud being operated on it becoming accessible to someone else, be it worries about malicious administrators mm-hmm. or, or other customers or, or whatever. And, and the real goal of confidential computing is to allow you to reduce how much you have to trust those platforms that you don't have control mm-hmm. over. And that allows you to move more and more sensitive information into the cloud while remaining confident that it is as well protected as it was when you had it at home and had to pay all of the administrative bills on your on your own data center. Thanks. And I, I would point out this is a great opportunity for me to plug a couple of previous episodes. What we've covered, we've talked about confidential computing and we've talked about the Grameen project and both of those I think are very interesting. It's it's an interesting space to to uh, learn more about, I think. Uh, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but I, I do these things because they interest me personally too, right? So, so yeah, I recommend checking that out. So, you know, we, we've covered a lot of ground, and I really appreciate, you know, both of your your inform- both of you sharing your, all this information. I, I kind of wanted to wrap things up though with p- placing this in the context of a larger security picture. So, how does attestation complement other security strategies? Where you know how it's a piece of the puzzle, right? Can you talk about where it fits? Sure, I can I can start with this one. Uh, as I mentioned, the r- remote attestation is 
one of the cornerstones to confidential computing, which is, I would argue, what that really means is that that deploying secure workloads into remote environments requires the complement of several different security components, remote attestation being one of them, uh, better isolation being another one. Um, there, there are, as I mentioned, there's there's three or four of them that you probably went over during your uh, your confidential confidential computing podcast, and so I think those all work together to to create a remotely detectable, more secure environment, uh, and that you can then run software into it. And then that complements or is complemented by the software attestation's ability to help you decide whether or not you should trust the software that is running inside of that that environment. So all of these security technologies are really working together independently. They're actually not all that exciting, but mm -hmm. together they really do change things. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in the software space, right, like we have been using techniques like code signatures to identify the source or origin, I should really use the word origin, um, the word origin um, of software, right? And so attestation is sort of, yeah, very much a complement to that. I and mean, you might still digitally sign your attestation as well, so you know who attested, but it doesn't replace other practices either, like um, least privilege uh, sort of access control of your GitHub repository and things like proper key management so that your signing keys are more difficult to compromise. Yeah, I, it's exactly what Vinny said. It's, it is just a very small piece of the puzzle and, but very much needed, right? Just because the right. key management alone isn't going to prevent you if the, from being compromised if you have a bad pass key to unlock right, the keys, okay, right? And like yeah. all these things. So um, yeah. Yeah, that's a great example. So the brush strokes are kind of mundane, but the painting is beautiful is where we're, what we're saying. I, have, I like my art metaphors. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, well, this has been this has been really great. Um, you know, my aim with these is to be a little bit educational. I've learned a little something. I hope everybody listening has learned a little something. And I, you know, I really appreciate both of you coming together and, and presenting the different the different aspects here. So is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to add to this conversation perhaps? And I'll let either of y'all answer that. Yeah, um, I mean, at least from my end, I'm just glad that we got to talk about attestation in a more holistic sense. Um, certainly from my end, the software side, that's all we really talk about. Um, and so, yeah, being able to sort of include the hardware side, the remote attestation side, I, I think was just, it's a, really nice, unique opportunity. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of different standards organizations that are fairly unrelated that are working on the task, which which means that there's not a there's not as much joint collaboration as we think that there would be value in. Uh, you got a lot of even within just the remote attestation and the trusted computing area. Uh, only recently have we really gotten the major players to start doing sort of inter-standards organization work that is is starting to really uh, provide great results. And I think that there's an opportunity here to also do more of that sort of joint work between the software world and the trusted computing world. 
um, I think both would recognize the value in in the collaboration. But it's a reasonable argument that not until recently did it really make sense. I mean, both of the stories have to mature to enough of a place before you can start having the bigger conversations. So we're at, a, at an exciting time now where I think now is the time we can really start doing cross-domain work between them. Yeah, completely agreed. I mean, I've started seeing some of that not only through my own work, but also in conversation with the open source software community, um, the sort of interest towards, ooh, what could we do with TPM attestations or other sort of trusted compute um, work and what are the implications for software? So yeah, couldn't agree more. Cool, cool. Uh, inflection points can be exciting, right? Uh, I mean, I, I, well, I'm really excited to have gotten to have this conversation with both of you. Honestly, I wonder if, if um, you know, me coming to this conversation without the depth of expertise that the two of you have, so, you know, asking the questions that I ask, I wonder, it, it's interesting to me that the uh, asso the association might seem more obvious, but but when you have the depth of expertise in the different areas, I can see how they would they would diverge, and and maybe there would be a lack of collaboration. But but if 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 something great comes out of this conversation, that that is um, frankly delightful. So I hope that it does. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you both again. I think this this episode will really complement some of the previous conversations we've had on this podcast. So, so I appreciate you helping me kind of flesh out that story a bit. Yeah, thank you too for, for having me. Um, yeah, this has been fun. Glad to help. Thanks so much. <laughs>